This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I I want us to uh, look this morning into Luke chapter number two. I want to... Uh, set aside for a few weeks our study of the Gospel of Mark. And I want us to, of course, as we come to uh, this Christmas season, it's hard to believe that we're already in December, isn't it? Before you know it, Christmas will be over. Uh, I remember when I was a child, I thought Christmas would never get here. And uh, I, I, I didn't think school break, uh, the Christmas break would ever get here, but it did. And many have come and gone. So uh, Christmas is coming around the corner. It'll be here quicker than you think. And um, of course, when you think about Christmas, <clears throat> you think about, well, we'll always think now about warm, fuzzy socks, right? But you think about all the decorations and all the fellowships and gatherings and the, the tinsel and the lights and all the things that go into that. But when we think about Christmas, we think about our Savior. Because without Him, there is no Christmas. And though we, as a society... Uh, celebrate his birth at this time of the year. Uh, Bible students believe he was born in a different month. And, but this is a time for us as a culture, as a nation, uh, to naturally point people to Jesus. And so what an opportunity the Lord has given us here this time of the year. Uh, you will find in the foyer, you will find the at the welcome desk, you will find gospel literature that uh, has a wreath on it and uh, a greeting about Christmas time. I hope that you will take those. And I hope you'll give those out to people. Because there are lots of people who think Christmas is about Black Friday, what they will get and what they will give. And... They look at it as an opportunity maybe to advance their business or to make one of their children happy. And they really have missed the point entirely. And I don't want God's people to miss the point. And I want you to look with me into Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 8. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. It was a great day when Jesus came, wasn't it? It was a great day. And if Jesus has come to you, if you know him as your Savior, of the day that he came, that was a great day for you, wasn't it? When we think about Jesus, we, we see the image of the child in the manger. And I, I wonder as we come to this Christmas season, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Notice the message of the angels in verse number 11. For unto, say that next word with me, would you? Let's try that again. For unto is born. I want to tell you, God gave his greatest gift to you. And God has offered his greatest gift to you and to all who will believe. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Oh, praise God for that. You say, why did we need a Savior? Because we were perishing. We were in great and grave danger. And maybe you're here this morning with us and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and it has never occurred to you that you, without Christ, are in great danger. And the Bible says, for unto you, that is unto all people, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Well, who is this Savior? Is he a philosopher? Is he a, uh, as the Muslims claim, Allah? Is he uh, the prophet of Allah, Muhammad? Is he the Savior? Is the Pope the Savior? Is the president of the political party with which I affiliate, is that my Savior, and by the way, there are many today who are looking to a political uh, mechanism as a Savior to deliver them. Is technology my Savior? I read a, an article this week about a man who believes that machines are going to take over and that humans must mingle with machines in some uh, strange way to preserve their existence. And he's coming to these approaches based on an evolutionary worldview. Is that the Savior? Who is the Savior? Oh, there's only one. He is Christ the Lord. He is Jesus. And I wonder, where do you see him today? How do you think of him today? Is he the babe in the manger? Or is he the suffering son hanging upon the cross? No, I would say to you that he is the risen Savior sitting on the throne of God. And I want you to know that I'm thankful that Jesus came. I'm thankful that he uh, died on the cross for me, but I am thankful that he ever liveth, that he is ruling and reigning, and that he is coming again. And as I challenged our young people 
this week, I, I want to challenge you with this thought, that Jesus is not just some historical figure of the past. He's not some untouchable, impersonal God who is secluded in the heavens. No, he is not passive. He's very active. You see, he is a present and personal God. He is a present and personal God. I want to tell you that the Jesus born in the manger is the Jesus who rules and reigns on the throne of heaven. And I want to tell you that the Jesus who came into the shepherds is the same Jesus who wants to come to you and is the same Jesus who has come into all the world, all the city of Hickory, all the areas in, uh, uh, surrounding our county. Jesus has come. He is a present and a personal Savior. Not passive, but active. And I think as we wonder about this Jesus, what? He is doing in this world today. Because if he's present and if he's personal and he's active, then there are some things that he is doing. And I want us to notice those things. And so I hope you'll write them down with me if you would, please. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus is saving. He's saving. That's the purpose the angels announced that he had come into the world, they announced that his purpose was to save or to be the Savior of the world. Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, I, I'm not come to those who are whole. They don't need a physician. I am come to those who are sick, those who realize that they are sinners and that they have great need and therefore they have no problem in acknowledging the fact that they need a doctor, a physician. That physician, the physician of the soul, is Jesus. He's in the soul-saving business. He's been in business from beginning to end. And I want to tell you, he's involved in that business today. Jesus is saving for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Romans. Would you please find, if you would, the book of Romans, chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10, and we come to verse number 8. Paul, in this doctrinal book, the book of Romans, has convinced us as uh, human beings that we are sinners. For all, he says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Paul has proven as a prosecuting attorney that we're all guilty. He's laid out the evidence and the sentence is clearly given. For all have sinned, that's the judgment. The sentence follows, uh, that is that we who have sinned, the wages of our sin is death. So uh, the judgment is made and the sentence is passed that we are sinners and as sinners we are perishing. We are dying. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we see the wages of sin is death. 
That death is something that we are born in. We are spiritually stillborn. Though we have physical life, we are born without spiritual life. That was spiritual life that God intended for us to have in the beginning when he created Adam and Eve. But that is spiritual life that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. They lost it when they sinned. When God said to them, the day you eat of this fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. I want you to know they surely died that day. Oh, they didn't die physically, but they died that day immediately spiritually. Now, inevitably, they died physically. But spiritual death came to them. And when they, uh, in their marriage relationship, had children, those boys inherited the sin nature of their parents. Uh, One of them, Abel, recognizing he was a sinner and recognizing that if he was going to come to God and make atonement for his sin, he must offer a blood sacrifice. The other Cain said, no, no, no. I'll come to God the way I choose. I like to plant and I like to till the ground, so I'm going to give God what I can do. I'm not going to come to God his way. I'm going to come to God my way. That's the way of sin. That is what the Bible calls the way of Cain. And Cain said, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to do it my way. But God said, no, you won't. And Cain sinned against God. Inevitably, he slew his brother, Abel, murdered him. And sin had contaminated the bloodstream of all humanity. And so Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save us from our sin. He came to live a perfect, sinless, holy life, which he did. And the judgment that was made against him, I I think we could use the words of Pilate when he said, I find no fault in him. I want to tell you, no one could find any fault in him. His father found no fault in him. Jesus said, I do only those things which please the Father. Jesus Christ lived as God intended for man to live. The perfect sinless Son of God, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, fulfilled the demands of a righteous, holy God. And when he went to the cross, he did not go to pay for his sin. He went there as a willing sacrifice to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. That is the reason he came to save. And so the Bible tells us here in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 8, as Paul has laid out these arguments, he comes to the word of God and to the law of Moses, and he says in verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And Paul is showing here that not only are we, uh, is, 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 is a sentence passed upon us and a judgment is made against us, but he tells us the way in which we are delivered from that sin and that judgment and that death, and that is through faith in Christ. It is through the justification. We are made just as sinners by faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And he has revealed that to us very clearly. And he says in verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, would you you read those last four words with me in verse 9? Thou shalt 
be saved. Boy, I'm telling you, he's still in the saving business, isn't he? Then I want you to read with me, if you would, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to tell you, when I read that verse, I, I find that God isn't out of business. I mean, that's not what he used to do. I find that is what he is still doing. And I find that this is the message that he gives to those who still need him. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know how it is with you and God. You don't know where you're heading. You don't know about your eternal destiny. In fact, you're very concerned and you're very troubled that you may not be going to heaven. I want to tell you that you can be saved today. Some of you may be here this morning and you know for sure you're not going to heaven because you've lived a sinful, wicked life and you've never repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you're concerned, or maybe you're not as concerned as you need to be, about your eternal destiny. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God can reveal the person of Jesus Christ to you and reveal to you your sin, and you can be saved today. I want you to know that those children that you're burdened about and concerned about, they can be saved today. I want you to know that those neighbors who live near you, they can be saved today. I want you to know that that co-worker and, 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 and that friend that you have made, that person who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, they can be saved today. Jesus offers unto them eternal life. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's in the saving business. Now how does one come to Jesus to be saved? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what does that mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Does that mean, you know, if I got in trouble last week, I said, oh, Jesus, help me. Uh, is that calling on the name of the Lord? Or, you know, we live in a society now where the name of Jesus is used as a byword, almost as a curse word. His name is used in vain time and time and time again. Uh, does that, is that what it means to call on the name of the Lord? Well, no, that is not what it means to call on the name of the Lord. So how do we find out what it means to call on the name of the Lord and how it is that we can be saved? Well, I want you to look again in verse number 9 because Paul gives us the definition here of what it means to call on the Lord. And it involves two areas of our life, two areas of our, our existence and our being. First of all, it involves the heart. Involves the heart. Now, when I'm talking about the heart, I'm not talking about the physical muscle. I'm talking about the soul of man. I'm talking about the intellect, the emotions, and the will. I, I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions. Uh, and we refer to that as the heart, the very center of our existence and then we notice uh, that it involves another part of our being, and that is the mouth. That is the mouth. And usually what is important in our heart reveals itself in what we say, doesn't it? Uh, have I told you about my grandson? I'm telling you, he's a, he's a good boy. He loves his pop. 
and he loves to see me, and he loves to, I mean, he's so handsome. You see, it just comes natural for me to talk about him. Just natural. You know why? Because it's in my heart. It's in my heart. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I've seen when I, uh, high school teenage girls, their, their notebooks will be filled with the names of the object of their affection. They'll write that name over and over again. Why do they do that? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, or the hand writeth. You see, there are two components involved here of your being that reveals that you have called upon the name of the Lord. Number one, it is your heart. Number two, it is your mouth. Now, what has to happen in my heart and what needs to come out of my mouth to uh, constitute that I have called upon the name of the Lord. Well, notice what he says in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Let's look in verse 8. Um, he says, the word is, is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, if, and, and that I am to confess. Now notice verse 10. I'm, I'm taking you on a little tour here. I'm getting, notice verse 10. For with the heart man what? Believeth. Unto what? And with the mouth, what? Is made unto salvation. You see, what must transpire in my heart is I must believe. I must believe. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you? That he rose again the third day? Do you believe that he'll save you? That he desires to save you? That's what it means to believe. And that means that I believe it in my heart. I may not necessarily understand everything in my head, but I believe in my heart that Jesus is who he says he is. I understand that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior. And I believe that he is the savior and the creator. And I'm calling on him. He's the one who made the payment for my sin. He's the one who died in my place. He's the one who rose again on the third day. And he's the one who is willing and ready and able to save me. And I believe it in my heart. I may not have everything settled in my head, but I believe it in my heart. If that's so, then what happens is there is a confession that comes from my mouth. Because I can't help but confess it because I believe it. Notice again, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What is my confession? Here's my confession. My confession is this. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and Jesus is the only Savior. And so I'm calling upon him, to be my Savior. I'm asking Jesus to save me. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever done that? I talk to sometimes to people and they say, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you have not always been a Christian. You, there has to be a time in your life when God reveals himself 
uh, to you and reveals to you your need and there must be a time in your life when you by faith call on the name of the Lord and seek Him and call upon Him and ask Him to be your Savior, confessing that you're a sinner, confessing that He's the Son of God. Now that is what the Bible says. You see, that belief produces confession. And that confession constitutes the call. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm glad to report to you that Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. By the way, I've met a lot of people who are trusting in their goodness and their background and they've totally missed the fact that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. Then I've met other people who say, wait a minute, my background is so bad, what I've done is so bad, there's no way Jesus can save me. I want to tell you, friend, Jesus can save all who will come to him and call upon him. He says in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad to know that Jesus is a personal Savior. He's a present Savior. He's active. And He is saving. I want to give you the second thing that Jesus is doing today. <laughs> Not only is Jesus saving, but Jesus is interceding. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. Now that word interceding, you may wonder, well, what does that mean? That means Jesus is praying for you. You might think that's a strange thing. Jesus is praying. Yes, Jesus is praying. I'm telling you that he's praying right now. Seated at the right hand of the Father, what is Jesus doing? He is saving all who will call on him. And he is praying for all who will come to him. Now I want you to see it in Hebrews chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse 14, Seeing then that we, that is those who believe on the Lord Jesus, have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. That's where he is. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, isn't that a strange way of saying it? Uh, I think in English you would almost call that a double negative, although I don't think in technically that is a double negative. But you could say, man, that's a double negative. And I, I remember enough about my English classes, you know, I ain't too smart. But I remember just a little bit from my English classes that you don't use a double negative. But God here is using negative language to get our attention, isn't he? To make a point, to emphasize something to us. For we, that is those of us who know the Lord, have not a high priest. That means our priest, our advocate, is not someone who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now there's an invitation the invitation to those who do not know Jesus is to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The invitation to those who do know Jesus is that we would come to him, that we would come boldly to him, that we would come into his presence. Do you know that every time you uh, voice a prayer to God, you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
You have come into his throne room. And do you know that all you have to do to get there is just lift your, your heart to God in prayer? And you can be in his presence in just a moment. You can come boldly to his throne of grace. That throne is the place of power. That throne is the place of decision. I mean, if you want to be anywhere, you want to be with somebody who can affect some change in your life who has the power and the authority to do it. And do you know that any of you who know Jesus in just a moment, when you lift your heart to God, are in the place of power and decision and determination in your life and in the lives of many that you love and care about. And you can do that anytime. Oh, I'm too busy. I got too much to get done. Really? What can you do in light of what God can do? What, can, what change can you affect more effectively than God? Oh, some of you have lived long enough to know that whatever change you can produce won't last. In fact, it may turn back on you and cause more trouble than it did good. And so you've learned to go into the throne of grace. Some of you who once did not recognize your need for God in daily decisions, have made enough mistakes now to where you recognize, I can't do anything without Him. And here's what we understand, that I can come in a moment's notice into the presence of the Lord, and I can, notice what the Bible says in verse 16, obtain mercy. Boy, mercy is something we need, isn't it? Mercy is withholding from us that which we deserve. I don't know about you, but I, I, the devil, he likes, to, he likes to follow me around, or one of his devils, and this is what he likes to say. Um, uh, you, you, you deserve a lot of judgment. You're a dirty, rotten bum, and, and you don't deserve God's goodness. And you know what? He's right. He's right. But I'm going to tell you, when I get the mercy of God... I am, I am not receiving what I justly deserve because what I justly deserve is what Satan tells me. I deserve judgment. But as a child of God, I'm a recipient of God's mercy because he loves me because I've been brought into a relationship with him. That judgment that I so uh, richly deserve, he withholds from me. And I don't know how it is with you, but I know how it is with me. I need as much mercy as I can get. He says that we may obtain mercy and that we might find grace to help. Now, grace is another wonderful gift that God gives us. Uh, grace is giving to us the things that we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding from us what we do deserve. That's judgment. Grace is giving to us that which we do not deserve, and that is uh, righteousness and favor and blessing. And here's what we find, that you and I as children of God can come into the presence of God at any moment that we can get some mercy, that we can find grace in our time of need. Oh, how many needs do we have? We live in a world filled with needs. We have prayer meetings in our church and we give announcements about the needs of God's people. And while just a few of those announcements may be given, in the hearts of the people who make up this congregation, there are a multiplicity of burdens 
and needs, their fears and, and their strivings and their concerns and there are circumstances in your life that you're concerned about. And here's what we find, that we can find grace to help and obtain mercy in our time of need if we'll just come to the throne of God. And when we come, we find we have a friend. And his name is Jesus. Now I want you to see something about Jesus here. In this passage. First of all, I want you to see that he is touched. Now he wouldn't be a friend if he wasn't touched. Have you ever talked to, you know, you ever talked to somebody and they say, I really need to talk to you. I've got a problem. And you listen to them. And, and you try to empathize with them, and you care, and you try to give them some advice. Have you ever noticed sometimes those same people, when you have a need and you go to them, they're not too interested in what your problem is? You ever notice that? They want you to be interested in them, but they're not too interested in you. Can I tell you that Jesus is always interested in you? I hope you're interested in him. There's some Christians who aren't too interested. They're interested as long as no, they're interested in him as long as he can get them out of that situation. But I want to tell you that Jesus is always interested. He is touched. That means he cares. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched by my griefs. Notice what the Bible says here. We have not a high priest which which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's touched by my weakness. He's touched by my inability. He's touched by my fear. He's touched by my burden. He's touched by my concern. He's touched by my inability and insufficiency. Jesus is touched. Do you know how he's touched? Do you know why he's touched? Because he became a man. He became a man without ceasing to be God. And therefore, he can bring man and God together as the God-man. And he can sympathize. He can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted like his we. You know, Jesus knows what it is to have jealous brothers and sisters. Jesus knows what it's about uh, to be questioned by those who love you the most or you love the most in your family. Jesus understands what it means to be betrayed. Jesus understands what it means to be lied about and talked about. Jesus knows all about it. He knows all about our troubles. He's touched and he's tried. And then he can be trusted. Because he's touched, because he's been tried, he can be trusted. That means I can come to him and I can bring my burdens to him. He's interceding for me. Can I tell you something? When I come into that throne of grace, when I find the friend Jesus who is there with me, when I'm pouring my heart out to him, he's pouring his heart out to his father on my behalf. I love to see when my kids sort of take up for each other. They fight enough. 
But I really like it when they defend one another. On occasion in my house, one of them will get in trouble. I'll have the facts wrong. There'll be something that I, I missed, but I've jumped to some conclusion, and I know I'm right, and they've done wrong, and they deserve uh, this punishment. And one of them will say, hey, 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 Dad. Uh, look, that's not really what happened there. Dad, what you need to understand is, and they'll give me a part of the story that I needed to have. And do you know what touches me the most? Is that they love one another enough to care about one another, to defend one another, and to help one another. Can I tell you what touches the heart of our Father? Is that His own dear Son, Jesus, pleads on our behalf for us. You say, what's Jesus doing today? I mean, you know, is He, is he up there in the heavens and... Or is he the babe in the manger? I mean, what, what is the deal today? What, what's going on? I mean, does he realize this world's going to hell? Absolutely. What is he doing in my life? I want to tell you, he is saving and he's interceding. Let me give you the last thing and I'll close here. He is preparing. John chapter 14. He's preparing. This present Jesus, this personal Jesus, he's saving all who will call. He's, in, he's interceding for all who will come. <clears throat> and he is preparing. I want you to see in John 14, he says to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to, say the word with me, please. Prepare a place for unto you it's born this day. I go to prepare a place for you. Where is he? He's gone. Gone where? To heaven. To do what? To save, to intercede, and prepare a place for me. Notice again. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, what's the next word? I will come again. Mm. Isn't that good to know? And receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to tell you what Jesus is doing, friend. He's preparing. And I like the way he began telling us about this preparation because he told us in verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. I don't know what's troubling you today, but I want to tell you, friend, you don't have to live in anxiety and care and trouble. You can give it to Jesus because Jesus has got everything under control because Jesus is at work at this moment. What's he doing? He's making things ready. He's preparing a place for you. Now, I think there's two things we learn here. Number one, he's preparing the path for me now. You see, Jesus didn't save me just to give me fire insurance to get me to heaven. No, he saved me to be the Lord of my life. 
He saved me because he has a plan and a purpose for my life. He saved me to direct me, and I don't just have a relationship with Jesus when I get there. No, I have one now. And he has carved out a pathway for me. He is preparing the path of my life. You say, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, if, I, if, if we do this with our kids, this could happen, and oh, how this could turn out, and if I make this financial decision, this could happen, or if, if I took this job in this place, and here's what we do. We try to figure everything out. Now, I want to tell you something. I, I don't mean to be ugly. I don't mean to be unkind, but there's nobody in this room smart enough to figure all that out. And even if you were smart enough to figure it out, there's no one powerful enough to control the circumstances. Not in this room. Oh, but there's one in heaven. He's got it all figured out. And he, he, he has the power to take care of me. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, he just said two, you just used two words. You remember what they were? Follow me. That was it. Peter and John, follow me. Andrew, James, Follow me. Levi, follow me. Well, where are we going? Follow me. Well, Lord, tell me where you live. Uh, we got no place to live. Follow me. Well, Lord, let me, let me go back home to my family. No, no, no. Follow me. You see, the call is clear. It's to follow Jesus. He has prepared the path. For me. All I got to do is follow him. You know, I, I get my phone out. I type the address in. I listen to the lady. She tells me what to do. That way I can think and not have to think about where I'm going too much. She's directing me. I don't have a lot of problem following her. But for some reason my flesh doesn't want to follow Jesus. And he's promised to deliver me safely. You know that little phone thing, sometimes it gets me in the wrong, wrong destination. I'll punch in a street and it'll pull up one in New Mexico. I, I won't even notice that. It'll just tell me it's 36 hours. I'm like, I know it's not that far. Maybe by the time I crossed into the state of Tennessee and saw that sign, Welcome to Tennessee, I'd realize I was on the wrong path. Jesus has called me to follow him, and he cannot lead me astray. He is preparing a path for me. Some of you are concerned about the next step, and you're trying to figure everything out. And you're trying, you've already figured it out, by the way, and you're just trying to make sure you get there. You're going to find out that, no, that's not the way it works. You just follow Jesus, and you follow him day by day. He's preparing a path. He's preparing a place. Where is that place? That's the place called heaven. You know what the Bible says? The Bible tells me that eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. There is no way that we can understand what our great God is preparing for us. We cannot perceive it. We cannot comprehend it. We have no frame of reference from which to work, to even relate to, as we think about what God is preparing for those who love Him.
There's another place prepared. I don't want you to go there. It's a place that Jesus said was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a place called hell. It's the place where all who reject Jesus will inevitably end up. And I want you to know that if you end up there at the end of your life, you're going to be out of place. Because that place wasn't prepared for you. It was prepared for Satan. And so you have a choice this morning. What will you do? Some of you desperately need to come to Jesus. Will you acknowledge that he's the son of God who died for you? Will you acknowledge that you're a sinner who needs a Savior? And will you today call upon Him to be your Savior? Friend, I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, if you'll do that, you'll be saved. It happens in the heart, not in the head. In the heart. Will you call on Jesus? As a Christian, will you come to your great high priest? And bring your burdens to him, knowing that he cares for you. Some of you are trying to carry them, and you're almost out of gas. In fact, you, some of you are past that stage. And you're wondering, what in the world are you going to do? I want to tell you what to do. Bring it to Jesus. And then he's preparing. You're worried. You're fretting. You're fearful about your future. Jesus said, follow me. Trust me, I am leading you, and I have a place prepared for you. This is Jesus. He's a present and a personal Savior. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.